0: Welcome back to another episode of Stand on Guard with David Creighton. I am your host, David Creighton. And we've got a a good show for you, and we'll be back momentarily. So we are in a very precarious position in this country. We need political change, but we also need to resolve to resist... Yeah, back coming at you. We got a lot of material to discuss today. It's been, a, it's a, it's a busy week, even though the House of Commons isn't sitting. And if you're not aware of this, and I'm sure most of you are, the news cycle in Canada, at least for federal politics, is dictated by question period, even though it's not really questions and it's not really answers, and it's really just rank theater at times. That is all almost pointless, but nonetheless, it dictates how the news cycle goes, and when the House of Commons is not sitting, and there's no question period, uh, people tend to think, well, there's no news happening, but that's not true, and Justin Trudeau has been up to absolutely no good here in the last last week. As usual, he was overseas, so, you know, we're going to be discussing that, that's our first topic today, NATO, will it implode, or will it explode? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, either it's going to implode because there's a strain on the organization now because the United States is giving cluster bombs to Ukraine. And a lot of the member states don't agree with that, including Canada, because Canada has banned cluster bombs. So what else could they do except that we disagree with this? Uh, United Kingdom, Germany, not very happy with this either. So there do seem to be some rifts in the organization. And... There seems to be some rifts over whether Ukraine should be a member. Now, it, Ukraine should never be a member of NATO. Has no business being a member of NATO, and this should be clear as crystal to anybody who understands geopolitics. Ukraine is in a very unenviable position in terms of its geography. It is nestled you know between Inside of Russia, basically, and it used to be a part of the Soviet Union. And throughout the ages, parts of Ukraine have gone back and forth in terms of who dominates that land. Largely, it's been Russia. And Russia began asserting its its dominion over that area by taking Crimea back. And there are definitely eastern territories in Ukraine that would support re-entry into the Commonwealth independent states or Russia. And this and that would that would be no doubt. Now, this war did not start on any, any legal basis, but that doesn't change the fact that the war needs to end because it's killing a lot of people. I just wanna let's have a look at some of these articles here. You know, this uh, NATO is is definitely divided on the cluster bombs and on whether or not Ukraine should be a member. The United States is not pushing membership for Ukraine because it knows it's upping the ante with war with Russia. There are members of the Biden administration who want to do that, apparently. But, you know, you can see the chaos. I'll, I'll, I'll expand this story here. And there was a lot of criticism from some of the NATO allies that Ukraine takes a lot for granted. And it it demands everything. It never even asks. It demands increasing funding. And it's wiping out its own population. This is something, you know, nobody really wants to talk about very much. But the population of Ukraine has been decimated not only in the last couple of years because of this war, but leading up to it. It's losing population. It used to have a population about the size of Canada, you know, 35 million or so. And now it's, it's drastically been hit, and it's going down to about 20 million people. Now, this war is having a huge effect on the population. A lot of people are leaving the country so they don't have to fight in the war. And a lot of people are dying in the war. The carnage is incredible. And do you think this is an issue for Ukrainians? Of course, do you think most Ukrainians want this war to keep going endlessly? And it will keep going as long as NATO continues to pump money and resources into it. It'll keep going until the last Ukrainian is dead. And then Zelensky will expect you and I to start fighting in his war. The war has to be negotiated to an end. That is quite clear. Because that's the implosion of NATO right now. If people can no longer stomach giving away billions of dollars to a petty tyrant like Zelensky, knowing full well a lot of this money is just being wasted, wasted, a lot of it's going in the private hands, a lot of it's going to the oligarchs, and all and even the arms aren't necessarily going to the front lines or being sold, it's being sold in the black market. So this is not money well spent. And despite the fools out there in the American, Republican and Democratic parties in our own political establishment who seem to think this is money well spent because we're we're somehow containing Russia from starting another third world war. We are increasing the probability of a third world war as we stay in this position of accelerating aid to Ukraine and insisting it become a member of NATO. Not going to happen. And NATO exploding means we wander into the third world war because we can't stop giving Ukraine arms to continue this fight. We need to negotiate peace because I tell you what, Right or wrong, yeah. it's a lot more wrong to have a nuclear war over this issue. We've got to stop this fighting. It is just too volatile. So I you know, I can't I can't overemphasize that enough. And it's just it's just common sense. But that's <laughs> that is the the conundrum right now facing the world and facing NATO. So NATO is either going to implode or it's going to explode. But it's got to do something to avoid a catastrophe. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So probably said enough about that. Want to move on to our next topic here. Trudeau and interest rates. This is a this is a very interesting interview because, of course, Trudeau's Trudeau's overseas, hoping he doesn't have to talk about domestic issues right now he, he's hoping that the domestic issues are just not not going to be on anybody's plate but that's exactly what happens because you know reporters are going to ask what is going on with the interest rates and let's listen to what Trudeau says to start defaulting on mortgages and yeah. other debts
1: Look, this is not the news that any Canadian wanted to s- receive this morning. Um, this is also a challenge that uh, I've had conversations with uh, fellow leaders from here in Europe and around the world on. The
0: cost of living is. Don't you hate the fact that Trudeau always talks about challenges? You know, because there's a positive connotation to a challenge. You know, it's something you relish taking on. You t- you relish a challenge, but this is not a challenge. This is called economic disaster, and it's not a challenge. It's like calling the Great Depression a challenge for people. It wasn't a challenge. It was catastrophic. It was not anything you'd ever want to go through because at the other end was disaster. And it to say that interest rates were just a challenge for Canadians is to just minimize it by a man who has no clue what the average Canadian really is going through.
1: The real challenge everywhere around the world, uh, with record high inflation, with uh, interest rates continuing to go up. Um, people around the world are facing significant challenges. That's why in go. Canada, uh, we've stepped up with targeted support for people who most need it at this moment. So Last week, we delivered the uh, grocery rebate to 11 million Canadians. Uh, Canadians in provinces yeah, where that's really uh, the make a uh, federal pricing backstop applies, will be receiving their climate check. Uh, this week, a climate check, and then next week, the Canada Child Benefit is going to be increasing uh, with the cost increases in the cost of living. Uh, on top of the housing benefit and other benefits we're delivering, we are very much focused on supporting Canadians. Even as we create great jobs and grow the economy, we will continue to be there for Canadians through these difficult times. Uh, as we create a brighter future for
0: everyone. Now, do you buy that for a minute? Do you think Justin Trudeau is creating a brighter future for everybody, all Canadians? And clearly, we've come to the point where most people will never be able to afford to buy a house. And the interest rates are going up every week. And Justin Trudeau is oblivious to this. He's clueless because he thinks a grocery rebate once, a one-time grocery rebate check is going to make all the difference. Or this climate check after he takes away all that money in the carbon tax and he gives back some of it to some people, but it's not helping anybody. And, and and this is, this is why this is, this is absolute balderdash. You know, this is, this is absolute nonsense. And, uh, thank God we have premiers like Daniel Smith or standing up to Justin Trudeau. And I want you to see this.
2: I'll be going to the Council of the Federation this week because I can tell you the thing that has surprised me the most is it doesn't matter what political stripe the premiers have, every single one of them is frustrated with federal interference into their business. I would like to, for the federal government to focus on their areas of jurisdiction and do it well. How about we uh, see them address the issue of of -of out-of-control monetary policy so that we don't have an inflation crisis any longer? How about they uh, meet their commitments internationally on defense spending so that we can continue to be part of a a full partner in the NATO alliance? How about they manage our our passport offices and our airports and our port system? And how about they support Indigenous health so that uh, we're dealing with the opioid crisis? They've got lots on their plate in their areas of jurisdiction. They should stop trying to interfere in ours, and they should start doing their job, is in my view. And I think all the other premiers feel the same. So I've pushed back, I've seen Saskatchewan push back, and I, I think you'll see increasingly the other provinces will push back as well. Well, I'll tell you what I noticed when the Prime Minister did his communicate is he didn't push any of those three issues. And which says to me that they are open-minded, and they have heard the message loud and clear that an emissions cap that is aggressive is a production cap and it's a violation of the constitution the same for net net zero electricity regs that are that are 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 too aggressive electricity is also in our constitutional jurisdiction so here's here's my view
0: you know and daniel smith is fortunately standing up against trudeau's radical extremist climate change agenda and she's saying, we're not going to do this by 2035. This is absolutely ridiculous. But even to say that it's going to happen by 2050 is obscenely op- optimistic and completely unnecessary because we are we are not going to be a world or a country run on green energy by that time either. Daniel Smith is clearly buying some time here, but she's it's vital that we get over this because God only knows how the mindset's going to be in 2035. People are going to realize by that point, there is no climate change catastrophe crisis that's going to cause the end of the world. So 2050 won't be viable either. And I think this is where she's going with this. I think she's saying, look, if we can buy some time now, another 12 years, we're not going to be looking at 2050 either, because by that time, by 2035, people are going to realize that it's not even essential that we do so, that it's not viable, not possible, and not something the candidate needs to do. So I think it's wise. She knows right now, if you just say it's never going to happen, they're going to just call her a climate change denier, and there's nothing worse you can be called today. Uh, except perhaps racist or, or, or something like that, and that is that is the one thing she doesn't want to get caught up on, is being called a climate change. So I think that's what she's she's doing here, and it's probably a very wise strategy.
2: Is that if we are able to demonstrate in good faith that we are working towards those targets in a meaningful way, I think the courts will side with us. I hope it doesn't go to the courts, but uh, if, it, if it does, then I, I think we're going to win that one. I do always try to find areas of common ground. and I must tell you that uh, the, the other Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, uh, he, he just wanted to steal our wealth. He didn't want to extinguish it. And so that's uh, the reason why I can understand why people are, lack trust. The way that this current prime minister has acted towards our province over the last number of years has not been constructive. And so I wanted to demonstrate by meeting him partway, saying we'll align with a, a 2050 target, but he's got to meet us partway as well and do it in a way that's, that's reasonable and that works for our economy. And that's why we've formed a working group. As I said, we're going to work in good faith to try to get there, and if we don't, then uh, we're we're just not going to do anything that is going to damage our economy or give any indication that our oil and natural gas sector is going to be phased out. We're working on reducing emissions, not reducing jobs in the energy sector. So I think this would play out. We will assert that we are going to uh, meet our targets under our emissions reduction and energy, energy development plan, and they can take us to court if they want. But I think that what will happen is we will demonstrate to the court that what we're doing is reasonable, it's in alignment with federal policy, it's in our areas of constitutional jurisdiction, and I don't think they'll have a leg to stand on.
0: So, clearly, you know, this is a very smart policy here. And there's a bit of a game going on, but when you're dealing with Justin Trudeau and the liberals, you sometimes have to play their game. And I think that's what she's doing here. Knowing full well that the, the climate crisis is going to blow over. It really is. People, and I don't even believe the average Canadian is really that obsessed. With the climate change crisis, do they go to bed at night worrying about global warming? No. Or the fact that there's more forest fires and it's supposedly as a result of climate change? No, they don't. They're concerned about forest fires. But people are no longer convinced that every ill, every environmental ill, is directly a result of climate change. It's just not going over anymore so i think that's you know i i, I think that's ex- extremely important to uh to recognize that and uh you know that is that is the reality we face here and i want to deal with a couple of other other issues here before we leave you today and this is very very uh concerning disconcerting and very very concerning is that the uh Manitoba court ruled that it was somehow okay to lock down churches during the during the pandemic. That was reasonable. Let me tell you, that's not reasonable. And I, anybody with half a brain can tell you why it wasn't reasonable. Because we, we still had the liquor stores open. We had the pot stores open. We had strip clubs open. And it's like, nobody is going to be in a a position to pass on the pandemic in in those circumstances, that they couldn't have tried another solution for the churches in this country. Well, clearly Justin Trudeau wasn't interested in doing it because the churches are not important to him. Faith is not an issue for Justin Trudeau, unless he's grandstanding and, and having an audience with the Pope. He's not interested in faith. He really isn't. So that was, you know, a a complete disaster. This decision here, but we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what happens with this. Now, I want to get. I want to get to our last uh, last issue of the day here, which and this continues to resonate with people. And it's it's about you know a school in Saskatchewan and, and Swift Current that decided, and some of the kids decided to have a petition saying that they're proud to be straight. Now, why is it not okay to say that? And apparently the RCMP, you know, the, the RCMP literally came to the school and grilled the students, gave them the third degree, and threatened them with potentially violating hate crimes legislation by doing this now this is all nonsense this is all nonsense and this has got to stop because this week you know I want to highlight the fact that both conservative leader Pierre Polyev and Alberta Premier Daniel Smith were photographed with some guy wearing a t-shirt that said straight pride now I don't walk around with t-shirts advertising all kinds of things but I think you have a right to do that and I don't know why it's inadmissible somehow politically incorrect and somehow morally wrong to say you have just as much pride to be straight why is why are we trumping up the lgbtq pride but not allowing other people the vast majority of the population say they're proud too because the whole thing is ridiculous because the whole gay pride month or season is a complete assault on everybody. It's, it's an ideology being forced upon us. And the politicians of all parties in this country, with the exception of the People's Party of Canada, which has no representation in the House of Commons, is the only party to say this is nonsense. We should treat all Canadians as equal under the law. We stop segmenting the popul- population. Stop dividing us. Stop using identity politics to play one group against the other so the liberals come out ahead. We can all be proud to be Canadian. Let's leave it at that. Stop flying divisive flags that are just really showing hatred for people who disagree with you. And this really, you know, should have, this should have been where this this story went. And, I'm very disappointed, and Paliyev and Daniel Smith didn't have the guts to say, look, there's nothing wrong with this individual being proud to be straight, and I don't have a problem with that, because I think all Canadians are equal under the law, and I think that should be the issue. And stop running, stop running and hiding, because, you know, that's exactly what they are doing here. Now, we're getting to the end of the broadcast and I wanna say support independent journalism. This station has now been monetized. I'm gonna be doing more, not less coverage. And even though you know we're in the midst of the summer, there's always something exciting happening and we need to continue to report that. So I know it's a, it's a pain, but please ring that bell subscribe to the station. It means a lot to a small station like this. It means a lot because we need to build those numbers and we need to indicate that you think this is important. You think this is information you need to know. We deal with a lot of different issues. I'm always going to be frank and as courageous as I can be in addressing these issues because politicians in this day and age are largely craven cowards <laughs> i know it's a bit of a but they are they are afraid to say anything that is going to offend anybody except those who don't complain and it's people like you who don't complain enough they can trot on they can tread on your rights and they can tell you that your opinions don't matter And you'll probably take it. But it's time to fight back. It's time to resolve, to resist. And that's what we need to do in this country. And that's what we're going to continue to do in this station. So I want to thank you for listening today. Thank you for watching today. I think we've got the information here that people who watch the nightly news aren't necessarily getting. And that's the point. And that's my goal, is to give you that information. So, f- for Crayden's Right, from Stand on Guard, I'm David Creighton, and I'm just happy to be able to talk to you again this week, and I'll be back again soon with more information. Thanks for watching.